everybody across the state. Welcome to Fuse tonight. So good to see so many of you. I want to introduce myself in case we haven't met. You're down in Florence, Hilton Head, Charleston, wherever. My name's Caleb, and I'm talking really fast because I got so much to cover tonight. But before I, we jump into content, what I want to do is I want to take a second and, and let you guys know about something that we get to know about, which is really cool. Do you know that every single week, there's between like 40 and 60 people that come to Fuse for the very first time? Every single week. So can we just do something really quickly? Can we put our hands together and clap and just welcome people that are new? Because remember your first time in church or in a new place, like sometimes it's intimidating or whatever. So we want to say if you're new here, welcome. I also want to let you know if you are new here, this series is an interesting one to jump in on because for the next few weeks, we are covering way too much content, way more than you should ever try to cover in a few weeks. Most of it you're going to forget about. You're going to think people are talking too fast and way too crazy, and that's kind of the point. Come back in February. We're jumping into a series on relationships. You'll be able to take a bunch of notes. It'll be super practical, okay? But for these few weeks, we're trying to do something like super heroic, okay? We are trying to cover the entire Old Testament in three weeks, right? There's no way. You can't do this. It's irresponsible, but we're trying. And last week, uh, Austin Duffy just absolutely crushed it, talking from, you know, the creation of Adam and Eve all the way up to Abraham. But basically, what we're trying to get to the bottom of is why we need the Old Testament. Why do you read the Old Testament? Why should we read the Old Testament? So here's here's what I just want to offer to you. We read the Old Testament because it builds our faith. All right, so here's, here's what I want to get to you really quickly. Here's what I want to just, just, just a bit of advice. If somebody tells you that you should believe in Jesus, instead of just saying, okay, sure, no problem, you should say, why? Right? Like, you, you should say, why do I believe in God? Why should I believe in Jesus? You should make people explain it to you. You should make people make things make sense to you. And that's because one of the gifts God gave us in us being made in his image is he gave us our minds, right? And then he comes back in the, the great commandment. He says, like, one of the most important things I want my people, you guys, to do is to love me with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and what? Your mind. And so we talked about in the last couple of years that faith is just this idea of confidence, It's this idea of trust and confidence. And so when we read the Old Testament, we get to see over and over and over and over and over again the heart of God, the character of God, the faithfulness and ability of God to accomplish exactly what he wanted to accomplish. And it builds our faith. So by the time we flip from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we start to read about Jesus Christ coming to earth and all the things that means for us, we can approach the idea and topic and man, Jesus Christ, with confidence and faith. That's why we read the Old Testament. So what I want to do, I want to show you this little timeline tonight. I'm going to cover a ton of things. Don't even try to take notes, okay? If you're trying to take notes, then just like write a couple things down that you want to go back and research or maybe where a couple of these stories are. Maybe you can write some things that maybe stand out. But if you're trying to follow along in the Bible, you're just going to be lost. It's going to be frustrating. So don't even worry about it, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to get there really quickly. You guys put a picture of that timeline up. You see how fast I'm talking? Isn't it so impressive? I love it. I can get even faster. Here we go. Okay. Okay, so last week we covered from creation to Abraham. Now, nobody knows the actual date that God created Adam and Eve, right? Some people think the earth is 6,000 years old. Some people think the earth is 6 billion years old. There's, you know, there's really no tell. It's not even really worth arguing because the reality is we do have data, like scientific data that shows the patriarch Abraham was alive in the ancient Near East around 1900 BC. So that's where we start to pick up truly most of the story of God and his lineage anyway. So he picks this man named Abraham and he says, I'm going to pick you, Abraham, because of your faith. 
and I am going to bless every people across the entire earth through the covenant family that I make between you, Abraham, and your family. We talked about some of that and how it goes, and then eventually Abraham and his family, they go on this journey. They end up down in Egypt, and they end up uh, you know, down there because there's this famine in their land. While they're there, their family grows. They're there for a long time. They get really, really big. It happens, you know, you see about a 600-year gap there between where Abraham gets this promise from God that he's gonna be the father of many nations and when this, this actual multitude of families, this Hebrew people, find themselves down enslaved down in Egypt. And then we ended last week kind of talking about this miraculous delivery, right? We've, we've all seen the movie and heard the cool stories and seen all the pictures, probably you've seen them, of like the waters parting and it becoming like the waters part and the, the Israelites, like they walk through on dry ground, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is where we ended last week. So in order to pick up the story this week, I want to show you, I'm going to talk about a lot of things and make some points, but I'm really only covering about 300 years of recorded history, okay? You see that? So from about the year 1300 BC, BC meaning before Jesus shows up on the scene, about 1300 years before Jesus shows up is when we have records, like extra biblical scientific records of the Hebrew people having their exodus from Egypt until, and that says Othniel is established as judge because that's kind of where I'm gonna end tonight, where the Israelites are now in their promised land. God has given them instructions and a leadership structure for how they're supposed to be and, they, and their first judge is appointed as leader over them, okay? So as all the crazy things that we go on tonight, I want you to see we're really only covered in about 300 years, all right? Which is essentially sorta as old as the United States of America in terms of a country, all right? Everybody picture that? Okay, so I want you to imagine with me for a second as we pick this journey up, the Israelites, well, they're called Hebrews at this point because they're, 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 there's no Israel. So the, the Hebrew people, million of them potentially, up to a million people being delivered from slavery underneath Pharaoh, his oppressive you know, leadership of them. They, these miracles happen where they run after, they're, they're heading out of Egypt, and then you, if you know the story, basically Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, no, go get these people. If we, if we lose our slaves, we won't be able to build this giant whatever. And God's like, no, my people are getting out of here. And so the waters part, the Hebrew people go across on dry land, and then as soon as the last person gets across, the waters come crashing back in, which seems like super awesome and miraculous and all that cool stuff, except... What if you were like one of the last people across and you just watched like hundreds of thousands of Egyptians die right in front of your face? Like this was brutal, okay? This would have been a very traumatic experience, like lots of emotion, trying to figure out what was going on. So they pick this, they, we pick up kind of this part of the journey. And from here, they, they wander around in the desert for 40 years. Years Now, I've been to Israel multiple times. It's not that big of a desert. In fact, most people think this is truly this journey could have been from start to finish about a, about a 40-day journey, about a month-long journey to get from the wilderness of Sinai into the land of Canaan where they eventually ended up settling. But it took them 40 years for reasons that we'll kind of talk about. But basically, this whole generation that had grown up in Egypt was... They were trained a certain way. They were thought of a certain way. They, they kind of approached life a certain way. And God had to teach them some things in the desert. They eventually start moving through the desert. They learn some things about God. They experience some things with God in a really cool way. And then they send out some spies 
to go and check out the land that God has promised to them. The spies come back with the report. One of them's name was Caleb. That's where I get my namesake from. Pretty cool guy. So he, he ends up, like, they come back with this report. They're like, yes, this land is amazing. I can't believe it exists. The, you wouldn't believe how big the grapes are. The houses are huge. Everything's amazing. But the people there are literally giants. This is horrifying. And Caleb and Joshua come back, and they're like, I don't care. God gave us this land. We can go after this. So then they, they end up on this conquest, right? If you remember the story of the walls of Jericho, where they run around the building seven times and blow the trumpets, everything falls down. This is that stretch, right? Where God's people are, are removed from slavery. They're now in this, in this kind of middle ground but in their journey out of where they used to be into where they will eventually end up. And so I wanna draw out several conclusions from this, from this stretch that I think are probably the same for me and you today, okay? So the first thing that I wanna draw out, and you can take notes or at least remember this, is we talked about the Old Testament fills us with faith. Here's the first thing. God used miracles to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but he used the desert to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Let me say that again. God used miracles to get the Israelites out of Egypt, right? He used all the miracles inside, like all the plagues, all the, everything that happened with Pharaoh. He used miracles to get the Israelites out of Egypt. But it took 40 years in the desert to get Egypt out of the Israelites. It took, it took retraining their brain. It took reprogramming them to not think that oppression was all they would ever experience, to not think that they'd never be able to have legacies, to not think they'd ever be able to actually inherit the things that God wanted for them. And so part of the reason why a whole generation died off in the wilderness is because God didn't want a people with a slavery mindset to step into the promised land because they would have carried those same ways of thinking, those same ways of doing everything into the land that God had initially set apart to become a blessing to all peoples of the earth. And how many of you know, a people that have an oppression mindset were not created to be a blessing to all peoples of the earth to come and proclaim freedom to all peoples of the earth through Jesus, okay? So it took miracles to get them out of Egypt. It took miracles for God to save you. It took a miracle in the man Jesus Christ for God to reveal to you through the Holy Spirit that you needed salvation. You needed to repent of your sin and trust Christ for salvation. That's a miracle, but it takes a desert for you to change your way of thinking and learn to repent and learn to love and do life with God. As a believer, your life's gonna look mostly like a desert for a long time, right? We talked a little bit about this last week, but that's okay, it's supposed to because God brings water out of the desert. God brings life into the desert. God has a way of making the desert become an oasis and a place of growth, but it's in the desert where you learn to not think about the world the way you used to before the miracle of salvation came into your life. So this is the, the story of God's people. The next thing is this. God wanted his people to be set apart and different from the peoples of the earth. If you remember the story of the Ten Commandments, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Ten Commandments. So this happened in the desert. Why? Because God is giving his people clear instructions and cultural like moral principles on how he wanted them to live, build family, build culture, and be set apart. Why? Because eventually, God's people would be the ones that were created to set the example and to be the culture bringers for all the peoples of the earth. So God was clear on his instruction. God was clear on the way he wanted them to live, on the way he wanted them to worship, on the things he wanted them to eat, the places he wanted them to not go, the things he wanted them to not say and do. And somehow, we've interpreted the Ten Commandments as these, this restrictive set of principles that you can't do this and you can't do that. God was, it was the exact opposite. God was saying, look, the world's a bad place, you guys, but if you'll do these things, you will create lives that will make the people around you flourish and you will become an example to the people of how to actually live a life that was fulfilling. But like the devil always does, he convinces us that God's lying to us. Okay, so the next thing, here we go. God's people rejected God constantly, but God kept fulfilling his promise because he can't deny himself. 
This is very applicable to us. But I want you to see the story of God's people in the Old Testament, specifically, particularly in the section that we're covering, the 300 years between when they left Egypt and the time when they stepped into the fulfillment of their promised land and began to build culture and family and homes. During that time, they began this giant spiral of, I believe in God, we love him, and then he didn't give us any meat today, so we're going to turn our backs and build, build cows out of gold and worship them. Like, like it, was, it was hilarious, the back and forth. The We love God, we want you to be our leader, and we don't love God, we want to worship cows and idols and the Baals and all sort of different stuff. But God had made a promise to Abraham. God had said, I am going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you and your family, Abraham. So there was no way that the people of God were going to be able to escape his plan because God can't deny himself. He can't help himself but make his promises come true. So when God promises to bring a promised land for his people, when God promises to bring good both to and through his people, he had no option but to move mountain after mountain after mountain after mountain to make it come true. Not because of God's people, but because God himself. He can't break his promises. So this is all a setup, all of God's people not being able to follow his laws, not being able to live up to the standard, not being able to trust his commands. All of it is just a precursor for God ultimately coming through on his promise perfectly in the man, Jesus Christ. Because God said, my people can't live up to the standards that I've set for them, so I'll have to go do it for them. And he comes as Jesus Christ to become the perfect fulfillment of all of his promises. That's why Paul writes that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in who? In Christ. This is amazing. This shows that God is always going to deliver on the promises that he's made. This is good news. We're moving fast. We're doing this. You guys are doing it. You're amazing. Okay. We got two more things. God always wanted his people to be led by men and women who loved him the most. This is wildly important. On January the 20th, 2021, the day when we just celebrated the inauguration of a new president of the United States. Because we are in a country that does not value the leader of our country to be the one who loves God more than he loves anything else. We are a, a you know, democratic republic set on a free market capitalist principle society. There's lots of good things, lots of bad things about it. But this country and everything about it is not the way that God designed his people to be led, which is your leaders will be the people that I've set apart for myself who will lead you by example and show you how to love God. Right, governmental, and I'm not, that's not a knock on any politician. Seriously, they're just not hired to love God publicly. They're hired to make laws and fix policies, fix things, all sort of, all sort of things. But God wanted his people to be led by what we'll see in, in just a little bit here at the end of this, by judges. And judges were both men and women who had incredible moral character, were very strong, had a lot of faith in God, and God used them to lead his people. Because leadership, according to God, has always been about the character you have, not the skills that you possess. In God's economy, in God's agenda, in God's way of doing things, you're not a leader or who have influence because you're able to get on stage and talk or because people want to listen to you in the locker room. You're only a leader if your life matters, if your life lives up to the words you're trying to say. So when God delivers his people out of slavery and gets them wandering through the desert, gives them the Ten Commandments, and gives them all these instructions and laws, the first people that he puts in charge of them are good leaders called judges that have the ability to love God and lead people in the example. And then, of course, we'll get into some of this next week, but then God's people, you know what they did? They said, oh, no, we want kings. We want a king. 
And the prophets come and they're like, you don't want a king. Kings are gonna, they're gonna tax you. They're gonna take all your money from your trades and they're gonna build a giant army. They're gonna take all your women. They're gonna, like, kings are bad. He's like, you remember how every, everybody that has a king that you run into them, you know how you end up killing them because you got a judge that's leading you? Yeah, you should let me be your leader through your judges. And they're like, no, we want a king. So God's like, okay, you can have a king. And guess what happened? It went horrible for them and it's been going horrible ever since. Okay, praise God. So last thing. Last thing is this, and this is where I want to part for just a second, because this is something that I, I really was weighing on me when I think about this. Last thing, God kept raising up men and women and renewing his miracles in every single generation. In every single generation that came through these 300 years, and even in the years beyond, we'll get to some next week, God raised up men and women. He saved for himself Men and women who would not bail, who would not um, bend a knee to idols, who would not worship other things, who would be set apart to be used by him in every single generation. He kept renewing his miracles in every generation. And I'm gonna tell you why. In the book of Judges, which is like the last portion of the, the section that I'm responsible for unpacking, the 300-year piece. The book of Judges begins at the end of this section with Joshua taking over from Moses, right? And, and, and Moses was a very good leader, very prophetic, but he was not able to enter into the promised land. So Joshua takes over after Moses and his primary responsibility is leading the conquest, the destruction of all these other peoples, driving them out so that they can inherit the promised land. And he does it. He does a good job. He's a valiant leader. He's celebrated all throughout the Bible. He's awesome. But one of the scary things that happens in Judges chapter two, it says that Joshua dies and he goes to you know, he, he goes to, to be with his fathers, and what happens is an entire generation comes around, and they didn't know God. They didn't know the things that he had done for Israel. So imagine all the things you've learned about in the last 16 minutes and then plus the 20 last week. A miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after promise after miracle after all the things that God done. And in that short amount of time, a generation raises up that knows nothing about God and nothing about the things that he had done for his people. And so they're easily led astray by foreign gods. They're easily led astray by cultural worship and things that were gonna make the, the promised culture and land of God that was supposed to be pure and beautiful and be a blessing to all creatures of the earth, all nations of the earth, what, it, what was supposed to be set apart by God to bring blessing and favor and prosperity and health and goodness to everybody else in the world now became this convoluted mess filled with idol worship and sexual immorality and all sort of horrible stuff because a generation came along that didn't know God. And they didn't know the things that he had done for them. And so the reason I want to park here for just a second is I, I, want you, I, I want to just say this. According to research that has been done over the last few years, there are a handful of quite scary things that are true about your generation specifically. And I'm old enough now to literally not even be in the same generation as you, which is embarrassing to say. And one of those things is that there are way more non-believers in Jesus in your generation than there were even 15 years ago in my generation. And it's like half of that compared to the generation before that. And I don't think it's all a bad thing because I think people are curious. I think people are searching for other things in life. I think people are, are I think your generation is actually um, less trustworthy maybe in some ways, but more, more curious and you do more research than other generations did. You're, you're more engaged in things. But the truth is that we're in danger, you're in danger of being the last generation in a long time that actually was believing and following and invested in the teachings of the man, Jesus Christ. And so I just, I just wanna encourage you with this. 
in order for us to not have the same story where a whole another generation comes along, because you guys are going to be fine. You love God. You're here in your Fuse group. You come to Fuse and you worship and whatever. But I'm telling you, here in a few short years, you're going to have to pass this off to somebody. You know that, right? Like you're like, oh, I'm in the ninth, 10th grade. Yeah, and in no time you're gonna blink and you're gonna be graduating out of high school and there's either gonna be people still sitting in this room learning about Jesus because you brought them and you taught them and you helped them grow up or this room's just gonna be empty in a few years. And we, we can go invite them, and, but like we're, the, we, it's not, we're not cool to show up at school lunch anymore. Like it's not cool. I'm old, nobody wants to talk to me and it's fine, I get it. I don't wanna have lunch with me either. But it's on you, man. You, you got to make sure that as you're following Jesus, you're bringing people along. You're passing this baton over. Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to go to fuse groups. And we're going to go to fuse groups because some of the research also shows that you know what you need more than anything else? You need to engage with people around this stuff. You need to talk about some of this. You need to, you need to have um, the ideas that other people have. They need to be shared with you and they need to inspire you. You need to challenge things. You need to argue with each other. Like your fuse group should be a safe place to disagree and get in each other's business about the way you're engaging with the Bible and the word around you. If you don't know uh, about a fuse group, like if you're at a campus tonight and you don't have a fuse group, find somebody that you do recognize from school or whatever. Just go sit with them and talk with them for a little bit and we'll get you some info on a fuse group. All right? Let's pray. God, that was so much. You did so good. I'm so impressed. I'm even tired. God, we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the fact that you can't deny yourself. You can't do it. And so you, you can't deny yourself so much that you had to come as us so that you could fix the problem. You, had, you, 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 you were able to fulfill all of your promises make all of them possible to be a yes because of the man Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for it, God. Thank you for the story of your faithfulness that plays out in the Old Testament. And as we search through it, God, would you, would you reveal things to us? Would you reveal mysteries to us about ways that we're sharing in a similar journey as your people? We may be, we may be in a desert right now. Help us to feel that it's okay. It's where we're supposed to be. We're unlearning some things so we can relearn some things in the future. God, I just, I pray for our conversations. Would they be so engaging? Would, would, would we be willing to step in, ask questions, wonder about the beauty of your story in the Old Testament so that today in our world, we can make sure that we are handing down the good news of Jesus Christ to another generation. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, here in this room, let me tell you what we're gonna do. You're gonna go to fuse groups. And I want to say a couple things that I, I believe to be true about fuse groups for you. Most of you are in fuse groups, and they're awesome, all right? They're very healthy. They're really good, life-giving, et cetera. But I want, to, I want to unpack a few things for you that I'm learning and realizing to be true about my life now, okay? At 15, 16, 17 years old, and you'll learn this not just in church. This is like a you know, sociological thing. But these are some of your primitive habit-forming years, right? Like the music you like now that you're just liking, you're gonna like it forever. Whether or not it's the music you listen to, you're gonna like it forever. I got a soft spot for the music I started listening to when I was 16, right? You're forming habits. You're forming habits about the, the foods you like, the places you go eat, the things you like to learn about, the sports teams you pull for. You're forming habits about everything. It's awesome. It's a really, really cool season of life. Here's the challenge. There are gospel things that need to be formed in you in this season. Not just because, man, I had... One night of fuse group, and man, it was the best night of my life. No, I mean, sometimes, maybe. But here's some real, here's some real truth. One of, the, one of the most important gospel ethics is being hospitable, right? So like learning how to welcome people in, learning how to take in a stranger, have conversation with them, be curious about how they're doing, 
listen to, learn to ask questions about them, empathize with their experience. And I'm telling you right now, the reason that the world is so insane is because we have a whole generation that didn't do this. You didn't, people didn't, people that went to church, they didn't bring people over to their house that they disagreed with to have a meal together and ask questions of each other and learn. They didn't do that. So now your generation, my generation, we gotta come around and just scream at each other on the internet for hours, see if it works, and it doesn't. So in your group, as your group meets together, and I know what it's like in high school, right? It's kinda like, sometimes you got your us four and no more, and you, you kinda get that vibe going. I'm serious, push yourselves to welcome new people into your group. Push yourselves to welcome people in and be curious about what they're learning, what they're doing, how they're engaging with all of this. Do that. The other thing is this. One of the most important habits that you're gonna need forever is the habit of commitment. You gotta be able to commit to stuff. Because I, in just a couple of short years, nobody's gonna be there to make sure you wake up and go to class. Nobody's gonna care if you get to work on time. Nobody's gonna care if you have integrity when you're trying to pay taxes. Like, nobody cares. They're not gonna show up and pat you on the back and give you a fuse check, right? It's not gonna happen. But you can do that now. So if you have a group and you've like, and, and you, you need to recommit, like I'm encouraging you, please recommit. If your group leader has uncommitted, shame them publicly until they recommit, right? Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of kidding. But like commitment is such an important value, all right? So y'all go to Fuse Group, look for people that look lost, bring them to your Fuse Group and talk about some of this stuff in the Old Testament. Love y'all, thank you.